going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 53 this morning. That is a chapter from the Old Testament that sums up the four Gospels all in one chapter. It is a prophecy about the life of Jesus, His death, and His resurrection and exaltation. This chapter is often called the exchanged life chapter. It tells us about how Jesus exchanged our sin for His righteousness. It tells us about how He took on our griefs and infirmities and insecurities and gave us security and solid emotions. It tells us how He took our guilt and our sin and our transgressions and gave us forgiveness. It tells us how He took our mental turmoil and pain and gave us peace of mind. It tells us how He took our rejection and gave us the approval of the God of gods and King of kings. It tells us how He takes our weakness and how He gives us His strength. This chapter primarily tells us that even though all of us are sinners and Christ was purely innocent, He bore the punishment for our sins and He died in our place. And if nothing else, that is the one thing that we are all to be reminded of when we take communion together. I'm going to read the passage of Isaiah in chunks this morning as we move through the passage. The first three verses speak about his life and about his ministry. Look for that as you hear these words. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Jesus in this passage is described as growing up before God and God having his eye on him when the rest of the world did not have their eye on him. He was a tender or young plant because he was he was growing up in this obscure Nazarene uh, Nazareth village. And he spent years in a carpenter shop and no one expected anything of him. In fact, later on when Jesus starts into ministry and he calls Nathaniel and Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because <laughs> nobody expected anything out of Nazareth. And so while Jesus was growing up, God had his eye on him when the rest of the world was completely oblivious that the Son of God was growing up in Nazareth. Jesus is also described as a root out of dry ground. A plant coming up out of this soil that is so dry, nothing can grow out of it. Israel had become dry ground. It had become a disgraced, corrupt, and wicked nation. But out of that dry soil came up a rut. The Lord Jesus Christ. 
he is described as having nothing about his physical appearance that should draw us to him. We live in kind of a Hollywood um, mentality here in the States. And, and, you know, we teenagers have a horrible time, you know, if they don't look perfect, you know, because everything is based about how you look and all of that kind of stuff. And that's kind of our American culture that we have. But there was nothing about Jesus that would make us want to run to him to look up to him, that would draw us to him. He was not particularly handsome or of a compelling stature or any of that. Jesus is there for all the rest of us. (laughs) Jesus is described as being despised and rejected. People rejected him because he didn't represent the things that are so important in the culture of the day. He didn't represent wealth. His parents were so poor that they sacrificed pigeons instead of a lamb when he was dedicated. He didn't represent power. There was no power there. He didn't represent represent reputation or good looks or any of those things that are so important to our culture today. And then there were the allegations that he was born illegitimately. His brothers were embarrassed by him his, the entire time he was growing up. It was not until he was resurrected that his brothers really wanted anything to do with him. The religious establishment referred to Jesus as a drunkard and a glutton and a demon-possessed man. He had no bed of his own, no home of his own. Yes, indeed, Jesus grew up despised and rejected in his day. If you've ever felt any of that, Jesus is your Savior. G.K. Chesterton, the English Christian novelist and literary critic, wrote, There was a man who dwelt in the East centuries ago, and now I cannot look at a sheep or a sparrow, a lily or a cornfield, a raven or a sunset, a vineyard or a mountain without thinking of him. If this be not to be divine, what is it? Jesus was divine. God's one and only son, and yet he grew up rejected. I mean, he came and was born in a stable manger. He did not fit the idea of what a Messiah should be. There was nothing about the way he grew up or was raised that would indicate that he was going to be the one who would die for our sins. Our next verses talk about his substitutionary atonement. The very words that uh, we sang as we sang Amazing Love this morning really flow right out of this passage in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. It says, Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions and He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Throughout the Old Testament, from the time of Moses on, the Israelites would sacrifice innocent animals without any blemish to atone for their sins. And when they sacrificed those animals, they recognized that that animal gave their life so they could be without sin and be forgiven by God. Jesus becomes the Lamb of God, sacrificed for the sins, for our infirmities, for our iniquities, for our transgressions, and all of that for the entire world. In the Old Testament, the sheep, the, ble- the, the sheep without blemish, died for the sinful shepherd. But in the New Testament, the, ble- the shepherd without any blemish dies for all the guilty sheep. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. And in Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God 28 times. Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. And every now and then I need to be reminded and every now and then all of us need to be reminded that sin is so serious that every one of us would go to hell for it if it was not for what Jesus did on the cross. If it was not that serious, Jesus would not have left heaven and he would not have come to earth and he would not have died on a cross and taken all that punishment and pain and suffering. He wouldn't have gone through all of that if Sin was not that serious. But sin will lead to death. Sin will lead to eternal death apart from the intervention of God. When it talks about transgressions, transgressions are open rebellion against God. And iniquity is is, talking about just being crooked. And so we have in this, this, this sin nature that is crooked. It's just not right. And we have, by choice, we, we choose to rebel against God. So we are sinners by both choice and by nature. And then we also talk about infirmities. And infirmities are physical or mental weaknesses that hamper our abilities and limit our abilities to serve God as you and I would like to. Jesus died for all of that. You know, I'm discovering that. And I'm not all that old yet, but I'm discovering that there are some things I can't do as well as I used to. Because <laughs> my body just doesn't cooperate. <laughs> and I'm so glad that Jesus died for our infirmities too. Communion brings us afresh to how sinful we are. It reminds us that we have a Savior who took our punishment. We prefer to think that we are good and decent people. (laughs) But the gospel reminds us that we are merely sinners saved by grace. And there are no other kind of people. (laughs) 
There are either sinners saved by grace or sinners who have not been saved by grace. There are no good people. Not one, the scriptures say. Repeatedly throughout the scriptures it says, there is no one who does good, no, not one. We are either sinners saved by grace or we are sinners who are not yet saved by grace. It tells us that he was wounded. And that refers to his being pierced through his hands and through his feet. And then pierced in his side. He was crucified. The normal method for Jews to practice capital punishment was stoning. But in Jesus' case, they allowed the Romans to do the, the worst kind of capital punishment that had ever been invented to that point, the Roman crucifixion at its worst, which involved lengthy torture and public humiliation by exposure and nakedness. He was bruised by the weight of our sin. He was chastised with whippings. But you and I, we have peace with God because He took our place. We have healing because of what Jesus did on the cross. And then the next verses refer to his suffering in silence. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. Jesus was sinless, yet he did not defend himself because he bore our sin and there was no defense. He, if he, he could have defended himself and said, I'm sinless, but he wasn't there for his own sin. He was sinless. He was there for your sin and He was there for my sin and there was no defending me. There was no way Jesus could defend my sin before God and there was there's no way that Jesus could defend you and your sin before God. And so He stood there in silence in the suffering and in the persecution and on the cross. Pastor Jimmy Johnson, a, a pastor when I was in college, said Jesus never used the authority He had when He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. With one word, He could have knocked over all of those who opposed Him, but He was silenced. Remember the power of God's Word in creation? Or remember the soldiers who came to arrest Him who were knocked down by the force of His Word to them? He could have done any of that, but He was absolutely silent because there was no defense that he could offer for the sin of Adrian Phillips. There was no defense that Jesus could offer for your sin. The Jewish trial before the high priest was illegal. It was unjust. It was held at night, which was contrary to the law. All Jewish courts were held during the day, but not this one. They brought in liars to falsely accuse him. Pilate even admitted that he could find no wrong in him, and yet he sentenced him to death. 
for political expediency. The people who should have defended Jesus and said, no, he's innocent. They cried for him to be crucified and they pleaded that his blood be upon them and upon their children. They didn't know what they were saying, but indeed his blood was poured out for them and for their children. And then in verse 9 it says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. His burial was proof of his death. His body would have never been released to Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus if he had not been found dead first. The Roman authorities would have typically taken his body down and just thrown it in the rubbish heap out in the, the, um, the garbage yard. But instead, as Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah 53, 720 years before that, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, asked for his body and put it in a brand new tomb that had never ever been used. Someone wrote, He who came from a virgin womb must be laid in a virgin tomb. Isaiah reminds us once again that while he died, the death that should have been ours He did that unlike us, for he was innocent. He had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And then we come to the last three verses of Isaiah 53, where he speaks about the resurrection and the exaltation. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I never took any Hebrew in school, and I don't read it. I don't even do very well with Greek, and I took that twice. So um, not much hope for Hebrew. But I am told I can read in English what other people say Hebrew says. (laughs) And I am told that in the Hebrew, it says it pleased Jehovah to bruise him. He has put him to grief. It was not just the will of God, as the NIV translates, but it was actually the pleasure of God that Jesus would offer himself as a substitutionary lamb of God in our place. Grace is love that has paid a large price. Perhaps one of the hymns puts it best, an old hymn that I have not sung, 
on Christ Almighty vengeance fell that would have sunk a world to hell. He bore it for a chosen race and thus he becomes our hiding place. The passage tells us and it answers the question, who killed Jesus? Yes, of course, the Jews. They did. They yelled, crucify, crucify him. But there were Gentiles just like us there too. The Gentiles, there was Pilate who did it for political purposes to help himself move ahead, corrupt as he was. There were the Roman centurions who just did what they were told to do. But it really wasn't the Jews and it really wasn't the Gentiles. It was God the Father who put Jesus to death. Without God's permission, without the Father's permission, the Jews and the Gentiles could have done absolutely nothing. But for God so loved the world that He willingly, it pleased Him to give His one and only Son that you and I might be set free from sin. But because Jesus laid down His life willingly, for our life, for ours, God rewarded him. God exalted him. And his reward is seeing his own offspring. His reward is seeing people that he died for come to know him, come to believe in him, and come to love him. His reward is being ascended into heaven and when you and I die, seeing people that he died to keep out of hell enter into heaven. That is the reward that Jesus gets. That is the reward that Isaiah speaks about. God also exalted him to the highest place that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. There is coming a day there are many today who still reject Jesus, but there is coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. As we go to take communion this morning, as we prepare for that, I want to ask and make sure that there isn't someone here that doesn't need to ask Jesus into their heart and into their life. The very reason God created you is to know Him. And the very reason God sent Jesus to earth and it pleased Him to do so was so that you and I would know Him and one day when we die and pass away from this life, he will greet us and we will be his reward.